What do you think the most unreliable outboard is? Ever? Ever, of all time. I'm going to probably say the Evinrude Vic. Hmm. What makes you say that? Mm, I think because when they first came out, they just kept popping powerheads, like in their late 90s. Every, all of them, you just heard nothing but stories mm-hmm. of these engines blowing up on all these bass boats and all these other boats. And I think that kind of gave them the reputation of being notoriously unreliable. That sounds pretty similar to the Optimax and the HPDI's early runs, don't you think? Yeah, actually, that's, I mean, probably, yeah. Both of those both had a very notoriously unreliable. I mean, they called the Optimax the Optipop, or the, what did that one guy say? He called it the Poptimax. Poptimax. Either either (laughs) one's just as funny. I mean, they just blow. Same thing for the HPDIs. They they got the same reputation. So So it just sounds like any direct-injected early run of a two-stroke was just pretty pretty shaky. I mean, if all of them had that kind of reputation at the beginning. But then as you really start to look into it, all that f- fades away after like a couple of years into their production run. Like everybody has nothing but good things to say about them after those particular issues were ironed out. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the Optimax ended up being actually a very reliable engine. Mm-hmm. But I kind of, I mean, I guess it also depends on what your definition of reliability and unreliable really is. Well, yeah, because that's that's interesting that you bring that up because I guess the way I would look at reliability is generally, you know, can I go out and make it back, right? Yeah. And, and you know... And last a couple of years. Now, yeah, I get that powerheads blowing. I mean, a couple of years. I hope you want more than a couple of years out of your engine. <laughs> wow, you're right. But, but I mean, I understand that that powerheads blowing left and right is, you know, it can be perceived as unreliable. But mm-hmm. really, by the end of the production run of that engine, was it all that unreliable, or was it just? that its early reputation was so bad that there was no saving it. I mean, I feel like that and the fact that four strokes were already kind of getting getting into into place for replacing the two stroke. Taking over the market. Yeah, people were just like, man, I don't want nothing to do with this anymore. Just get rid of those things. Let the four stroke take over. Yeah, that that's probably exactly right. The I don't know, because I didn't really work on that many fixes after that. I mean, once they got that reputation, and it didn't take long for people to not even want it. It was almost like the beginning of the demise of an entire company. So yeah, that the, the popping of the powerheads really, yeah, it destroyed it. And I, it, I think it was just also such a complex engine that it just constantly failed. And mm-hmm. then there was very limited mechanics to even work on it because right. just like the optimax and the hpdi if you don't have a competent mechanic that knows about the engine and how the systems function and how that engine operates then you know anybody could make a really i mean they could make a blunder out of that engine if they try and fix it and they have no idea what they're doing mm-hmm. because the systems are very precise 
and the way they operate. Like you said, it's a direct injection two-stroke. Mm -hmm. So like on an Optimax, you've got an air compressor, you've got air injectors, you've got fuel injectors. On the HPI, you've got a lot of different filters. You got a high pressure pump. You got um, close to 2000 PSI of fuel pressure. So yeah. if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what you're looking at and how the thing operates, you really don't have a place to start to fix it. So then you have a problem with this engine. You take it to somebody, they don't know what they're doing. And then they get in there and just start taking stuff apart, start screwing this, screwing that, messing with this, messing with that. And next thing you know, you can't get the engine to run right anymore because yeah. they just messed it all up. So that probably added to the reputation of being notoriously unreliable. Mm -hmm. So does that make them truly unreliable? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I think that's a whole, that's a, this is a whole conversation about, like you said, what, what's notoriously unreliable and what's reliable and what makes it unreliable. And we should probably even just go engine to engine and, you know, kind of talk about each one. Yeah. I mean, you can bring up, first of all, the E-Tech, which was, I mean, it came right after the FICT, right? That was like the, the FICT was its predecessor. It was the, mm -hmm. the originator of the direct injected two-stroke. Am I correct in that? Yeah. The E-Tech. Yeah. Probably. Well, um, that E-Tech, it didn't, did it have a lot of problems with blowing power heads or were, were the problems mainly just parts going out and availability or price being an issue? Um, the E-Tech is its own thing altogether mm. because I think what makes the E-Tech for most people, it, I think what it has this notoriously unreliable reputation too mainly because it's so inconsistent. Like if you have an E-Tech, um, let's say you've got a thousand E-Techs, mm -hmm. 500 of them are just going to be nothing but problems. And then the other 500 are going to be the most bulletproof, perfect engines you've ever had. I mean, I've seen people take an E-Tech and have like nothing. They don't do anything to it. I mean, they'll run it for six seven years no impellers no thermostats no nothing they put a set of plugs in it and make sure it's got good fuel that's it like i've seen people set let one sit for three years come back i mean they had you know good treated fuel but they come back put a battery in the boat boom start the thing up fires up first time and they just roll out like no issues and then i've also seen other people that have you know the ecus the injectors the the um the thermostat housings, um, some of the water jacket things, like it's just nonstop legitimate issues that those, they have with the engine. Those injectors were always, I mean, that's the first thing I always hear about. Yeah. Is the reason why you stay away from an E-Tech is the injectors. Because well, why is it? They're serialized? To, yeah. To, mm -hmm. what, what exactly does that mean? So it only, it only works on one particular cylinder or for one particular cylinder on one particular engine? Pretty much the way it is, is that if you have an injector, you have to change the injector, right? So mm -hmm. each injector has its own serial number that works with that ECU. And so in order to, like, if you have an injector that you've got to change out, you have to have the computer and the software and all the stuff in order to, like, I guess you could say match them. Mm -hmm. So that way that they work together. And I mean, if you're not an Evanrude dealer, which they're far and few between now, obviously, because they 
you know. Yeah, went out of business. Right, but before that, you would have people that would have problems with injectors, and they would have to go find a dealer that had the software and the computer to put it on there and then do, you know, what they do to match everything up to make it work properly, which to me is just... I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's absolutely ridiculous. So, like, you can't just order a cylinder three injector, put it in yourself, and get it to work. No. You need to hook up the computer, match the serial numbers, do all that, just to get it to work right. Yes. I mean, considering there's not a whole lot of Evinrude or E-Tech mechanics around anymore, that's a huge problem. What does an injector even cost? I'm pretty. uh, They're pretty expensive, too. They're not. Can you get your hands on one like pretty accessibly, or is I don't know. Availability might be hard now. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I haven't really tried to order an injector for an ETEC in quite a while. So whether they're available or not, I don't know. It it's possible, but it's also probably not possible, and they might be super expensive. So, so I guess that means. It's the complexity of that entire system mm-hmm. that makes people not want to deal with them. Because you have one person that has a bad, you know, issue there, it turns into this whole ordeal where like he gets a bad batch of fuel, messes up an injector. There's no Evanrude dealer within a hundred miles of the guy. He's got to tow his boat, you know, a hundred miles to a dealer. Get this done. It tar- they charges him a thousand, fifteen hundred, two grand to get his boat running, and it takes a month. So, like, that whole process will just ruin someone's experience mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, people that have a good experience with something, they don't really say anything. No one complains when things are good. It's not until they had this horrible experience that calls someone to action to actually be like, you know, go out and publicize how bad of, a, of an experience they had. Because, I mean, you know, face it, everybody wants some sympathy or some... You know, right. you want to tell people, you're like, dude, this, this is horrible. Like, this is a horrible experience, so I want to tell somebody about it. Yeah, when you start having five-digit price mm-hmm. tag mistakes mm-hmm. constantly constantly breaking on you, it's just, I could see how it'll build a pretty bad reputation. But Well, that also probably ties into why you've got such a bad, you know, a, such a good mixture. Because then there's other there's the other people that have had nothing like they don't do anything to the engine at all and right. it just works. Right. I was gonna say it's a very split camp. It's like mm-hmm. you know because I'm not old enough to have worked on a lot of these engines, mm-hmm. but I've heard you know the fair share of stories and you know all the all the nightmares that go along with these engines and you always hear how unreliable they are. But you know then if you ever get curious and start looking it up, like what. Why? What made it unreliable? You mm-hmm. know, and you start digging into forums and see there is a lot of people who are passionate about those engines that say they're mm-hmm. not unreliable. They're really good engines, and yeah, every engine has lemons or like you know, it's I don't know. It's it's kind of difficult. I think that all three of them. It's like the it's like the big three that the HPDI two fifty three hundred the Opti Pops and the Fix mm-hmm. and old early direct injected two strokes mm-hmm. had such bad early runs that it just it failed to save the two stroke mm-hmm. and left a left a sour taste in a majority of people's mouths and even though there were the occasional good ones it just wasn't enough to to keep them keep them alive 
you know? Yeah, I, the OptiMax is kind of a good, you know, comparison there because, you know, the, it was the OptiPop. And the OptiPop, the true OptiPop was from like 1997 until I think 2001. Mm -hmm. So after like 2002, they pretty much ironed out all those problems. And a lot of them was problems with oil or overheat, stuff like that, where they it would it would blow up the engine because there it wouldn't get oiling it wouldn't getting oil or it would overheat and and have an issue there mm -hmm. so once you got like if you have a 2009 optimax that's not an optipop and and someone that's still mad about optipops it's like those engines for the most part are all gone now you know if you have a 97 to 01 mm -hmm. optimax that's considered an optipop but outside of that, I mean, they made the Optimax all the way up until like the V6, V8 when that came out, like, I don't know, 2016 or something, 17, wow. 18, maybe. Yeah, I know the, the Optimax had a pretty long, yeah. pretty long run. And I, I've never known the Optimax to be an unreliable engine up until mm -hmm. really recently when you start digging into it, people <laughs> really dog on the OptiPop. But yeah. But I guess just after those couple of years, it was actually a really good engine. I've never. Well, that was that's kind of the that's kind of where it gets interesting because you take that Optimax, you know, you got a thousand Optimaxes, and you might have twenty five that are you know, you'll find twenty five people that either had an OptiPop experience or if they didn't, then they bought you know a 2002 to the to the end of the run of the of the engine. Mm -hmm. If you if you pool those people together, it's going to be like an 80 20 split, where 80 percent of the people never had those issues. Yeah, the other 20 percent had that bad issue. Whereas when it goes that's, back to the e tech, it's a 50 50 split, and that's what's amazing about the e tech is that I've never seen anything that has such a far like it's either all the way one extreme or the other yeah there's no in between no in between for that engine there's either i love it or i hate it that's no. really weird yeah it's i you know that's you bring up percentages i'd, I'd like to see because yeah you can you can bring up throughout the entire production run you know x amount of engines would have failed mm -hmm. but yeah what about in those years that they were considered these super unreliable engines what percentage of them were popping in those years like the FICT, which has a, the worst, you know, reputation yet. Mm -hmm. In those, like, early years, I, I don't remember what the years were, 98 or something. Um, but but those early years of the FICT, what percentage of them were blowing up? Because then afterwards, you know, after they fix these issues, that percentage starts mm -hmm. shrinking more and more oh, as absolutely. the years go on. But it had to be a really high number of those fix mm -hmm. um blowing up in those first couple of years like most of them to yeah. to have as bad a reputation as they had i don't know i would like to see that it, that you know it would be nice to have numbers on that to actually put you know that to bed i mean if you take like if you look at it at a different angle though where like you said take the engines that were after after the flagship you know mm -hmm. Any engine that you put out there in the first, like that's why they do research and development. They they R and D engines for five years or so, where they just put them through these extreme conditions to try and eliminate those issues. Because you know, if you put out a flagship product, any engine 
doesn't matter car, whatever, any product that's like brand spanking new, mm-hmm. you're going to have a few runs of problems that you didn't yeah. foresee. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a new product. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you take out the early HPDIs and the early OptiPops and you take out the, you know, the fixed or whatever, and you get into when they've ironed out those problems and actually people got to use the product. I think that the issue with a lot of those engines where you got people that have all these problems could probably be more attributed to abuse and neglect or somebody that doesn't know what they're doing with the engine Mm -hmm. and they couldn't get it fixed. So like, the reputation of something, let's say you bought an OptiMax, you didn't do anything with it for like three years, four years, and, and you started having these problems. And then you take it to a shop and there's only a Yamaha guy there that has no idea about any OptiMax, no software, no, no nothing, doesn't know anything about it. And then he just starts, you know, trying to figure it out on your engine. Mm-hmm. It takes him, you know, a month and $4,000 to figure out how to fix your engine. And he partially gets it fixed but now you've got legitimate problems every time you use the boat all because of you know neglect abuse and somebody that doesn't really know what they're doing with the engine yeah i think neglect is a very overlooked thing that adds on to this to the bad reputations of engines because there's too many people that you see that just they'll hold out a service for I mean, way too long, you know what I mean? And and maybe they just don't know any better, but I feel like you really should. You know, if you're buying an outboard, you should know your service intervals because it it surprises me when they're like, oh, this thing's a piece of junk. It's unreliable. You know, I I haven't changed the oil in five years, but that doesn't matter. It should run. (laughs) (laughs) What are we talking about? Like, yeah, I I know we're on two strokes, but, you know, just any little service thing. Like, yeah, if you if you take care of them. I feel like most of them will will have lasted more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see those numbers of because I think that's a big attributor to you know this whole reliable versus unreliable and mm-hmm. what makes it unreliable. I mean, just like your car, if you take your car and you know you drive it for twenty thousand miles before you change the oil, your car might take that abuse, but in yeah. the long run, you, you know you're gonna have all of these legitimate issues and problems that like continue to occur once you get towards the right. you know it'll later shorten, it'll shorten the life a lot mm-hmm. when you when you you know let the let that oil change run out for so much longer it mm-hmm. might not give you any immediate issues but you know it'll it'll shorten the life of it and start giving you problems that could have been prevented and then you're stuck thinking that you've got an unreliable engine yeah and really you caused it to be, you know, or you had a fair share. Or you bought a used plan. one and you didn't, you know, because right. that's kind of the stuff that you can't see. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way to test for what kind of abuse. I mean, obviously, you can do the visual inspection and see salt corrosion and, and this and that. And, like, you can do a compression check. But you're not going to see, you know, if it what kind of abuse the engine took before you got it. Mm-hmm. So that's I think that's kind of a problem. And there isn't, there's no good way to test for that. You can't see, you know. Yeah. I mean, you can see corrosion and, and salt buildup and a dirty engine. But let's say you don't change the air filter on one of these direct injection engines because most of them have air filters, at least on the Optimaxes. And that thing was starving for air for 
how many years. I mean, it, it's the unforeseen problems that you could have that eventually build up and make something unreliable. All right, and not to mention when you do regular maintenance, you can kind of, you know, spot things that might go bad mm-hmm. before it goes bad. You know, there's, right. there's telltale signs for certain things. And maybe you could have prevented something that would have mm-hmm. led to you having a bad experience and, you know, verbally berating this engine <laughs> <laughs> that really didn't do anything wrong. Well, so what other, I'm trying to think of what else is, cause I do want to talk about like what's going to be the most reliable engine. Mm-hmm. But before we even talk about that, I think we should actually cover something else. Like, you know, um, what about a, what about them carbureted four strokes? Yeah, those. Oh gosh. Again, before my time, I didn't. I haven't yeah. turned too many wrenches on them, but definitely unreliable. Uh, Carbureted four strokes are one hundred percent unreliable. I mean, when they're running, they're running great. They're they're awesome, but for the most part, you when know. Did, when did carburetors leave four strokes? What was what was about the the year that mm, they stopped? Late two thousands. So probably like. I'm trying to think if uh, anyone made a carbureted four-stroke up into the teens, like, you know. But even early EFI outboards, uh, four-strokes, had, like, general issues, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, 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 let's stick on two-strokes first. I mean, because we haven't even covered, like, talked about, like, the XR6 or, you yeah, know. Anything with I a mean, switch box. Yeah, anything that's got a switch box today, I would call unreliable. Um, yeah. Just because it's you know, you're talking about 25, 30 year old engines. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I, when we talk about reliable versus unreliable, I think I'm talking about like today, if I were to take an engine today, put it on my boat and go out and, and run around, what kind of problems am I going to see? Or, you know, am I going to get back? If you're on a lake, eh, you can float to the side. You're not going to be <laughs> in danger. Yeah. But like, if you're going offshore and stuff like that, it's, it's a whole different deal because, yeah, if you're going offshore, if you're making like real long haul trips, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a two stroke on my boat. Uh, I mean, not, I, w- not, I don't think nowadays. I would go that far. I would not nowadays. What What about people that's got these E-Techs that are they got the good batch of E-Techs? I mean, those are two strokes. Okay, well, <laughs> I mean, I guess, but what happens when you do have like some kind of routine issue and well, you can't find a dealer? <laughs> Yeah, you can't find a mechanic to work on it. That's kind of its own topic altogether because there's still people that work on them. You can still buy the parts and, you know, mm-hmm. there there's still people out there that know how to work on them. I don't know how that's going to work with the software, though. Like, you know, you got to have the software. So does that stuff have a timeline on it where the software runs out? I'm sure there's third-party companies that... Mm-hmm provide that software still so yeah maybe i'm glad i haven't had to work on any e-techs <laughs> just because of all the the horror yeah. stories i've heard i mean you know i understand when power heads are blowing mm-hmm. it's 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 gonna it's gonna end up with a bad a bad name no matter no matter what you did to fix it because it, it almost seems like like the, the, that stuff still happens, you know. There's still engines that early in their run um, have these issues, but mm-hmm. I guess nowadays you don't really see engines that that pop anymore. Like no, like you know, I could briefly we'll, we'll talk about it later more in depth. But 
like a good example is the Mercury, the Mercury V engines, like the Merc V8. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't blowing powerheads. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've seen very many blowing powerheads at all out of those V8s. Mm-mm. And it's a strong motor, but early on in its production run, it did have like, you yeah. know, those there, little, those there, was little a litany. there was a list of, of problems with that engine. Yeah. And it's, I mean, now that, it's all, you know, getting ironed out, but I guess, I guess we really, there's not that many other two strokes to cover as far as unreliability, because I mean, you know, if you got an old Suzuki, if you got something from the seventies, eighties, you know, those are the exceptions. You've, that's an exception to the rule. Like, you're not considering a 45-year-old engine to be reliable because if you were to take that engine out to the ocean and run it every day for, you know, three months, is it really going to hold up to that? Or is it only going to hold up to every other... I mean, unless you're rebuilding it and taking care of it, there might be one out of how many are left. So... I would kind of consider that stuff to be an exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know if there's that many other to talk about. The, the Tower of Power, you've never even seen any of that <laughs> stuff. And no, no, I don't know anything about the Tower of Power. Yeah, you you don't want to. Nope. Um, there was some of those Suzuki two strokes were actually pretty reliable. Um, wasn't there a Suzuki? It's like a V6 with with two spark plugs, a cylinder. Mm-hmm. That just sounds like it's not. Yeah, not, not fun. No, no. You know, I think another thing that kills engines' reputations too might be in part mechanics, like mechanics that either a don't want to work on that engine for whatever reason, like yeah, like because of the way it's designed, or like I feel like you know some of those mechanics will start start bad mouthing that <laughs> engine and. Probably, probably dragging it through the dirt when really it's like, was it bad or did you just not want to work on it? Yeah, I, we're all of we're all an example of that because, well, we can start talking about unreliable four strokes too now since we can move into that. But like you know, I think every mechanic has his own engine that he doesn't like. A lot of Mercury guys don't want to work on Yamahas. A lot of the Yamaha guys don't want to work on Mercury's. Like you've got yeah. those like clashes between brands and stuff like that. Like, you know, for me, you know, I, I'm I mainly do Yamaha and Mercury. I I don't mind working on either one. Mm-hmm. Earlier in my career, I was more of a Mercury guy because I got spoiled with the L6 and the Mercury L6, the Verado. I mean, that thing, you take off the cowling and everything is right there. It is the easiest engine to work on out of all the outboards you know, the modern four stroke outboards. Yeah. I mean, you take the cowling off, you can pretty much do almost anything in the water. You can change bell cranks. You can change alternators state, you know, anything on the engine, like shift actuators, throttle bodies. Um, yeah, whatever you can pretty much do almost any of it in the water. I think you which can is, do just about everything in the water. Yeah. The whole thing. You can change an up. FSM in the water. It's change FSM. The it's on. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, so it's super easy to work on, but whenever you go to like, um, the F 200, 225, 250 Yamaha, it's a V engine. Mm-hmm. So everything is covered up by the airbox and all these shrouds and all this other stuff. So you have to take off all this stuff and you can't get into the belly pan in certain spots. There's like all these, you know, complications that make it harder to work on. 
Therefore, I didn't really like working on those because it was a hassle. You know, I'm spoiled. I don't want to have to, you know, yeah. scrunch my hand and do all that. Like when I'm I when I'm used to boat. doing this, like I'm in the same boat. I've always just thought Yamahas were too bulky. I don't know. Like, yeah, they're reliable, but <laughs> and they might even be the most reliable generally <laughs> engines. Um, but I don't know. I'm just not a Yamaha guy. Yeah. Maybe it's because I'm so young into my career and like mm-hmm. you, I was spoiled by the by the L6. But I mean, the Mercury V8 is now the same way. It's flip flop like the V8. If you want to work on anything on that, you got to take the shrouds off, take the, um, you know, split the pans, which is a whole problem all itself. And then take yeah, the airboxes like off V8. and all that stuff. I don't know why. I just like that V8. Even though it might be all that work, I have fun working on that engine. I don't know what it is. I just, I'm a Mercury guy. Yeah. Going through. I love that L6, though. Well, um, didn't the L6 have problems, though, like early on? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it had tons of problems. What were, what were some um, of those issues? It had all kinds of, like, map sensor boot problems. It had... Yeah, problem with um, putting holes in the bellows for the supercharger, like these, um, they're little hoses that go between the supercharger and the charge air cooler. They had oil cooler problems. They had power head problems where, like the first designs, they had these like oil squirters that squirt oil behind the pistons. So it mechanically like restricted the engine. That's why they're on like the, I think it's the gen, you know, they call them gen fives or different generations of the actual power head itself. And so from like 04 to 07, those, those weren't that great. That's why they went through, you know, they went to the, they had a 200 L6 and then they had all the way up to the 275. They had an F a 350 SCI. They had that thing only had like a two year run and they killed that. And then in like 2008, they got rid of the 275 came out with the 300. So there was a bunch of generational changes, but they had, Problems with um, different lower unit issues. And I'm just trying to think of what else there's problems with. The, the isolator is always falling off. They had the shift crank mm-hmm. problems where they had, um, you know, the, the mechanism between the shift shaft that shifts the lower unit and the shift actuator. Those things were messing up. Um, man, there's just like any engine i'm trying to think of what else there is they had fsm problems yeah um yeah there was a whole list of problems that they had but they ironed a lot of that stuff out and so if you bought a verado from like 2008 until they just stopped making them this year i mean that's that that's a bulletproof reliable engine oh yeah i mean there's stories of like the coast guard and stuff getting 16,000 hours out of that engine. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I know they're really, they're really good and, and sought after even, um, especially now that they're being discontinued. I know, I know somebody who sold, um, I think it was, he sold two of them with 3000 hours a piece on them for 10 grand a motor. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're really, they're still pretty sought after, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. The reputation mm-hmm. they built as far as reliability. Yeah. That's pretty you know, amazing. Later on. That's see, that's where the stories can go different ways. Mm-hmm. Like, like you've got, you've got your early issues and, and depending on how quickly and how smoothly you iron them out, you could have, you know, a much, 
a much better overall run and not not have that not get stuck with that kind of reputation that mm-hmm. that those early direct inject two strokes were were stuck with. I would say for the four stroke, the most unreliable engine is definitely the carbureted four strokes. Like just any one Mercury. Yamaha, yeah, done. I mean, there for a long time, or well, not a long time, but you had the Mercury and Yamaha had a deal with each other, and like you had, I mean, they called them the Mercaha, Yamaha Merc, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, those had all kinds of problems. Like the a carbureted four stroke is just a bad idea because if you put the engines, if you, when you put them away like there's all kinds of sinking that you have to do between the carburetors in order to get all four of the cylinders or however, you know, whatever it is to, to on, on the most ones that I'm talking about are the four cylinders. Um, you had four individual carburetors and they all had to be synced together. Like they had to be pulling the same amount of vacuum and you had to hook them up to a vacuum mate and sync them together. So if someone put the boat away for a season, when they pulled it back out, you had all these problems with the carburetors. And it was a pain because you had to pull all four of them off. They had these electronic enricheners on them, and those things are stupid expensive. So if you had one of those go bad, you're out five hundred bucks. And then you had to, yeah, they're stupid expensive. And so they had, you know, TPS sensors on them that would go bad um, on the Merker, like the Merkaha ones. Those were inverted, so like the way the TPS read was backwards the way the Mercury computer read it and the Yamaha computer read it. Yeah, I remember that. They would just have wear, and then they would just get, as soon as they came out of sync, the engine just would, they would have trouble idling, you'd lose wide open throttle, they'd just be all kinds of problems because you'd have one individual cylinder Mm -hmm. that was either running lean, rich, whatever the case may be, and it would just take so much work to get the thing to run right. And then... How often would you have to sync and link them? Some people got lucky, but most people had to do it, you know, every other year. I mean, it just depends on, it goes back to the neglect and abuse mm-hmm. um, and, you know, poor fuel quality. As far as four strokes go, were there ever any that had like, like popping issues, like that were just blowing power heads left and right? Mm. Maybe the early L6? Yeah. I mean, the early L6 the exhaust was a little bit lower so um there were people that would like have it jump time well that's a whole other issue is that the engine would jump time so Mm -hmm. it would if you lost oil pressure at all it's a tensioner that had oil that kept the chain tension for the timing of the engine and if that you lost oil pressure or anything like that or had you know a problem those engines like those first generations they were known for jumping time coming off waves unloading the engine and loading it back up like it would they could jump time so that was a whole problem all in of its own but blowing power heads i mean a lot of those were abusive blows or it would ingest water um yeah i assume they have to be i mean definitely abuse related because you know i can't speak to the early l6s but if there's a motor that can take abuse, it's that L6. I, mean, they t- I, I say it too much, but they take abuse like nothing I've ever seen, dude. I think you're you're all about reliability right now, like talking about reliability. Well, I think we should just keep yeah. covering the unreliable stuff first. You're right. And then, so like, okay, early, another thing, or like Yamaha's, because, I mean, we talk about 
a lot about Yamaha and reliability, just like the L6, but like the O2 to O4 um, V6s and 3.3 liters, those engines, the exhaust manifolds would rot out. That was a big problem for a long time. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I didn't like those early three threes either. With the ITBs, they were just mm-hmm. they were just dogs. I mean, they were just heavy. Those loud. were another thing. The those you'd have to have to sink and link the individual mm-hmm. throttle valves or the individual throttle bodies. They yeah. yep. You'd have to get out that vacuum to sink those. So those could those could be a pain, but. I don't think you had as many problems with those. The biggest issue with those were the exhaust manifolds rotting out. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, they didn't have much. They weren't that powerful. I mean, they were, you know, they, everybody called them the old girls or the old dogs because they're, you know, this big, heavy engine that you didn't really get the same amount of power. Like, you know, especially when the L6 hit the market, you're talking about this supercharged engine that's got all this power. Mm-hmm. So... Um, the F three fifty, the Yamaha F three fifty. That's right. That one had a lot of flywheel problems, right? Mm-hmm. I what mean, was, what was the problem with those? Why did they go through flywheels like that? Was it? It was only the early ones, too, right? No, all of them. All of them. All had of them. A, oh, you know what? Now that you mention it, they have like a like a flywheel timing counter on the software, don't they? Yep. I think like, it's code eighty. I think. Um. Yeah. No. No one would probably say it, but in my opinion, the so the the flywheel has a balancer on it. It's like this big rubber thing, mm-hmm. and the problem is that it you know I would say that the engine is harmonically unbalanced because if you run an engine between I think it's like thirty eight to forty two hundred RPMs for over eighty hours, it harmonically is unbalanced, and that harmonic balancer on top of the flywheel will split. And it will actually shred that thing and like throw the it'll 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 shred that bouncer off and then throw the bouncer off. It'll rip it off and just blast it out like tear it up. Jeez. So it, it I mean it's a con it's what a, kind of damage would that cause? Depends on how bad, how fast. I mean if you're running fifty eight hundred RPM and that thing comes flying off of there, it's a bouncer, so it's heavy. Right. Um, it's just going to blow right through the cowling. You're just <laughs> it, <laughs> sent to the stratosphere type of deal. Or I don't know if I've, I don't, I've never heard any <laughs> of them coming out of the cowling, but you know, what was the service interval on those 80 hours, 80, 80 hours. You had to replace them every 80 hours. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was crap. code 72. I'm not sure. I can't remember. I think it was code 80, but it could be code I mean, 72. Still, like a flywheel can't be cheap either. Mm hmm. So they you're having to replace them. a flywheel. Oh, they, they warranty yeah. every single one of them yeah, for the rest the, of that engine's well, life? In the early years, you had to replace the engine computer and the flywheel. So the early years didn't have the counter in there. So you had to change the ECU that then allowed it to have that counter that would notify the operator of when they were ran that long in that RPM range, which is cruising speed i mean everybody cruises around four thousand rpm okay, so it's only so it's every 80 hours in a certain rpm range mm-hmm. all right all right that makes a little more sense then because i was like man if you're having to replace that thing every 80 hours that's before your 100 hours <laughs> no time. That's- no i mean if you ran the engine wide open throttle all the time never have a problem that's why i say it's a it sounds like a 
you know, a balancing issue, like whatever it is yeah. in that RPM range that would make a vibration or whatever that would mm-hmm. throw that, or maybe it was the flywheel that was a problem, but I kind of feel like if it was really the a flywheel problem. It would happen at all. Well, not, not only that, but you would be able to manufacture a different flywheel that didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Who'd have thought of that? <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. But that engine, would you say that that's an unreliable engine? Because not really. I mean, I, think, I don't know, man. I only know one unreliable Yamaha, and it's the HPDI 250 to 300. Like, or was it? 250 to 300 or just that that hpdi it's it's, mm-hmm. it's the only yamaha i've ever heard bad things about yeah like i said i don't personally like working on yamahas too much i'll work on them and i like me a yamaha you know i'm not gonna but <laughs> if i'm pegging mercury over yamaha it's mercury i've never mm-hmm. heard anything bad about about yamaha's reliable reliability wise every person you talk to what's the most reliable outboard there is yamaha 100 <laughs> percent now a lot of people are starting to say Suzuki, but I think the price tag is affecting that <laughs> that decision. Yeah, a I, little bit. I think I think they're they're factoring in reliability for the price. And they're right. Like, they're like, bro, go with the Suzuki. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like a hundred percent. Yeah. But as far as you mean, I could save fifteen thousand dollars. Like yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> but the Yamahas, nothing ever bad about those. Um, what other four-stroke would you say is unreliable? I mean, do you know of any? Mm, unreliable four-strokes. Really, those those carbureted four-strokes. That's about it. The only notoriously. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think of what else had a notoriously bad rap outside of those. You know, the flywheel issue in the F350, and. Um, I feel like those carbureted four-strokes was was a bad a bad place to be too for an outboard because you know for for that case and for that kind of unreliability and the performance and all that stuff like you should have just gone with a two-stroke you know Mm -hmm. back in that time because especially when you talk about weight exactly i know those old those old four-stroke carbureted motors are definitely some heavy dogs compared to those um the two-stroke ones and you know they're they're not reliable and they don't make that much power, mm-hmm. you know, because they're limited with the technology they have and all that. It's just like, you know, there was no really winning with those. Mm-hmm. I'd say stay far away from those engines, just in general. <laughs> as far as modern day engines are concerned, there's mm-hmm. not really any unreliable engines. You know what I mean? There's, yeah. no, there's no unreliable modern day engines. But if I were to have to pick one, you know, going against... My beloved Mercury, it'd be it'd be the the Mercury V engines, the early ones, especially because they had all those issues with the with the harness, with the wiring mm-hmm. harness corroding through and and uh, vibrating through and cutting a wire. Yep. And they also had that issue with the uh, with the starter, mm-hmm. where it um take water into it and mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't work. Yeah, and I mean those issues they they got ironed out pretty quickly. Yeah, and pretty quietly too like um like now the new harnesses have this sheathing over them in that one particular spot where they would mm-hmm. you know where they would present the issue and that that took care of that you can add a little diverter that sticks onto the cowling and that pushes the water away from the starter so that takes care of that 
And yeah. after that, those V8s are generally, you know, pretty pretty reliable motors. I mean, I mean that kind of it's the same platform as the 450R that's got the supercharger, but those had, you know, the issues they've had, you know, lower unit issues and and very similar issues, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that really makes them unreliable or if that is more just a problem because yeah I mean just in that train of thought just to throw it into this this discussion um if you're talking about problems like that you could talk about you know back to Suzuki and Honda we haven't really said anything about them being unreliable so those problems I wouldn't really say that that makes the engine unreliable just as much as you know a Suzuki and a honda with all their dissimilar metals and the problems with their engines that mm-hmm. you know make them i wouldn't say that they last as long yeah <laughs> depending no. depending on where you're at because nope. i mean if you take a honda or a suzuki after say 10 years in warm salt water like like what we're in I mean, every nut, every bolt, I mean, they're corroding, they're rusting, they're falling apart. Like it's, you can't work on them because you can't get the bolts up because they're all stripped out and you got to drill everything out and they make it, it's Mm -hmm. a, it's a, it's a nightmare. Yeah. Does that make them unreliable though? I don't think so. No, no, they run like a top, but they (laughs) just, they fall apart. You know, everything around the engine falls apart. Right. It's just like, so it's not, it's not ideal. I guess that's a good way to move into what would you say is the most reliable outboard? Well, look, I guess, I guess I will. Your opinion. No, but, but even in my opinion, no matter how much I, I I don't want to, it's, it's the Yamaha F-150. Yeah. If, if I had to think about one, one outboard that not only have I never had to, to fix anything on them, which, you know, I don't have 10 years experience. So, so that's not really saying a whole lot, Mm -hmm. but I've never even heard of anybody having to fix one. (laughs) I have never heard a story of somebody having to fix something broken on a, on a Yamaha F-150. Not to mention that that thing's been around for how long? 20 some years. And yeah, if I don't know if it's made it that long, but, but around 20 years at least. And, they haven't changed anything except the cowling. Yeah, there's right? not not really. I mean, the two point seven liter. It's there's really not that much. There's there's really not much has changed in that engine. I mean, that engine's been pretty much the same since it came out. I mean, and it's it, like the definition of if it ain't broke, don't fit, don't fit mm-hmm. with it. Like don't mess with it. Just yeah, I'll definitely agree with you. I would say that I know you'll agree with me. You love <laughs> that thing. I'll, please, by all means. I would, take the reins in this one. I would definitely say that when it comes to probably the most reliable outboard, I would say it's yeah, definitely the Yamaha F one fifty. Well, thing. the most re- did you ask me the most reliable outboard or four stroke? Yeah, four stroke or outboard. I mean, what would you say the most? Because I don't know. Maybe if we're gonna like, if we're gonna say the most reliable outboard, I know it's a totally different application, and mm-hmm. but the ninety, I mean the Yamaha two stroke ninety, that's another thing. <laughs> Yeah. Not only do you never hear of it breaking, you see videos all the time of like rednecks freaking just running them things through the through the shallow water, mm-hmm. smashing them through th- tree stumps and redlining them out of the water, just banging off the limiter, and they don't stop. They don't no. stop running. I mean, I've seen what was it? Was it? 
I want to say it was a 90 or around that, just that old Yamaha two-stroke platform. They, they took it and like buried it in the sand. Oh, yeah, that boat guy did that. <laughs> was it that boat guy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it, and, just, and just ran it. Just, just ran kept it. running. I think it was a 40, maybe. And then what was I'm, Maybe that was like a 20, 25 or something like that. But, oh, yeah, he just... Yeah, I mean, put sand in the intake. I mean, buried the lower unit and ran it, and then like it just doesn't. And then I mean, <laughs> did it blow up? Did it quit? No, it did not blow up. He cleaned the carburetor, out, cleaned <laughs> the thing out, and then drove off in that thing. Like had it's to put an stupid. impeller in it, but that was it. It's like it just stupid. That makes no sense. It's just like <laughs> like you have to. It's one of those engines you have to try to kill. Yeah, and and even then. You can't kill it. <laughs> he, he started it, ran it on the ground, and then threw the thing into the water, and then it just boop, 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 running, running into the water, and then just shut off, pulled it out, wiped the thing off, put fuel to it, and it <laughs> starts right back up, no problems. Ridiculous. Like, yeah, I would. Ridiculous. I don't know. Between the F-150 and that 90, well, the, there's also the 115-130, the V4. That was another Yamaha engine that was just, like, stupid like mm-hmm. they don't break yeah like they do not break the only like the bet if you wanted to break the engine you just don't put oil in it and even if you didn't put oil in it i mean how long was the thing gonna run it's it still, could probably run it still like, run yeah. a while before it broke <laughs> yeah and i mean you got there's a lot of people too i know that overall evan Rood and johnson have a bad a bad rap mm-hmm. you know in general but but there's a lot of people that stand by i think it's like anywhere from 70 to 80 like those 70s mm-hmm. uh two stroke evan Rudes and johnson's they just it's the same it's the same kind of deal they just don't stop running mm-hmm. I, I guess i guess there is some truth to that saying they don't make them how they used to no they don't and there's just there's nothing you could take nowadays that's made nowadays and do that kind of stuff to those engines even no. the even the f-150 you know, no, you're not. You you're couldn't not, do that to a four stroke. You're not abusing an F one fifty like no, like you're abusing the two stroke. Any any old two stroke from no. back in the Dizay, like back before, back when my parents were born. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, you're definitely not doing that to a four stroke. But the same thing. Let's let's talk about the Evinrude. You know, fifty fifty. Same thing. If you move before the Fict and all that. They had the the Ocean Pro and the Ocean Runner, the Johnson and Emerald. Mm-hmm. In that engine, same thing, dude. That thing ran forever. Yeah, there was somebody who who still had one um, at the marina for the longest time and mm-hmm. would, would ride out that little Grady White mm-hmm. with the with the what was it, a Johnson? Yeah, he had a one seventy five Johnson Ocean Runner. Yeah, yeah, and that thing, I mean, every time, every time. Uh, it, it never, you got to know how to start them though. Right, that's right. the only thing you got to know how to start the engine, but. It never had to get fixed. No. It's just, it. I don't even think that dude serviced that motor in <laughs> No impeller years. for 20 years. <laughs> I mean, I can't even talk about it in the current tense anymore, or the present tense, because it's, um, he repowered it with a Suzuki, mm-hmm. um, like right before we left. Yeah. But I gosh, had, you just <laughs> crank them things up, mm-hmm. prime it up, and. Yep. Rip it. Make yep. a big old smoke cloud, but it's going to run. Yeah, as long as you squeeze the prime ball, prime it up, put it three-quarter throttle in neutral, turn that thing on, dude, it will just rev up, blow smoke everywhere, but yeah. hold but that thing back and that's it is the, that's running. The beauty. That's the beauty of those two strokes. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that. Even though I didn't grow up in that time and, and you know, I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of experience with two strokes, it was still kind of fun to, mm-hmm. to be out there at the dock and just... <laughs> 
<laughs> trying to keep this thing alive for the first 15 seconds and then you know after you after you clear it out a little bit you can't see anything around you for a while but yeah yeah you're like man look at that thing go and it just runs like, like it. yeah like it's i had one on a um i had a 250 ocean pro on a 21 mako like three years same thing the key i mean for me what i did it, i ran it three times a week and kept non-ethanol fuel to it as long as i did that with i mean i over oiled it and i just changed the spark plugs more often i know mm -hmm. people want to get that perfect you know like not too lean not too rich where it's getting that perfect plug burn but to me keeping those engines running i over oiled it and then just changed the plugs sooner just because i mean it Dude, it just ran like it did matter. It, mm -hmm. it did not matter what I did. I mean, I could abuse it. Same thing and change the gear lube. I don't think I ever changed the impeller in that. I was lazy back then, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. but I ran it three times a week and that thing ran forever. See, but I don't know for me personally, even though I, I, I see it and I know it and I know those things are great. I can't go that far offshore with one of those engines, bro. I wouldn't trust it. I wouldn't trust it. I'd be like, yeah. Mm, what if today's the day? What yeah. if it's not going to make it past today? Well, I think now too, it's getting to the point where those the stuff's so old. You know, you're talking about thirty year old engines almost, and I mean, not not all of them are that old, but um, the components are starting to wear out, especially in the heat. Like mm -hmm. the timer bases, they've got plastic carburetors on some of them so the bulls will warp and then it'll leak fuel so you gotta change all the cars so like they're starting i mean you don't see that many of them left anymore mainly because of that because they're to the point where the material that they're made out of and the parts on the engine that are made out of it's starting to deteriorate and it just there's not it's not that mechanically the engine is unreliable or something like that it's just that it's 30 old 30 year old plastic there's nothing that you can do to stop it from you know over yeah. it's overuse it's just it's like everything that you have everything's gonna wear with use and it's just starting to wear out ox66 oh i mean a, that's a reliable one another staple point of reliability <laughs> you know but um as far as it's it's weird so some of those reliable two strokes that like you hear are notoriously reliable mm -hmm. i've only ever seen bad things with like the ox 66 is I've, i haven't seen too many of them but the one on the carrera those things were given problems left and right like there was always an issue with those you know which one i'm talking about the oh yeah yeah the 250s on that that well uh, again um you know i guess everybody ends up with you know like, like i said earlier there's always there's always a lemon in the yeah in the production line but there's always going to be one but i mean i've i've had i mean that venture had ox 66s on it and those venture? things yeah that before the l6s yep before that it had it after the ox 66s we ended up getting some um three three two fifties they got put on them but they had like almost four thousand hours and they came from a rental boat company so oh you know God. they were used those are like thousand hours <laughs> yeah that you don't you don't even know just no. don't even talk about those hours, yep. man. those those hours have seen some yeah some abuse we had so many problems with that practice <laughs> but i mean i had an ox 66 i mean granted 
the Ocean Pro, the OX66, a lot of these two-strokes, I mean, they are thirsty. You just have to just, I mean, you're getting one mile to four gallons of gas. Like, it's like just stupid. I mean, not that bad, but it's just stupid the amount. Like, they just drink fuel and oil. But, really? It's oh, funny yeah. because, you, because you know two-strokes for their efficiency, right? Isn't that? Direct injection. Only direct injection two-strokes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, any of these okay. other carbureted and stuff like that? I, mean, I see. So that's why. So so the direct injection two-strokes were a, a direct Hail Mary to try to save the two-stroke. Yeah. It was a direct because that was to the try problem. To, to try to make it competitive with four-stroke efficiency. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, they all kind of, there was kind of like a, I don't know. It, it's weird because you kind of had the two-strokes and they were, it was, it was the fuel efficiency that was really the problem. They weren't really a reliability issue with them because like we said, the Ocean Pro, the Ocean Runner, even the, um, you know, the OX66, the, the 90, the 130, the, um, all these, all these two-strokes, they were, they were super reliable, but man, did they drink fuel. And so, Late '90s, early 2000s, the direct injection all kind of hit the market, and like there are all these problems, all these problems. But once they got the problems ironed out, super fuel efficient. But by the time all those problems got ironed out, you know, you were coming into the early 2000s with the F-150, the 3.3 liter, the um, the Merc EFI. Like they were all these four strokes hitting the market that just took over. I mean, yeah. Once once the four strokes became reliable. You kind of had a period of time also between, um, you know, today and back then where like bass boats and stuff like this, these guys, the weight was a problem. I mean, the F-150 still weighs like 520 pounds or something like that. I mean, it's a heavy engine. Yeah. Where the 300 V8 Mercury weighs like 512 pounds. So you got like a 154 cylinder and a V8 300 and they're the same weight. So... A lot of these bass guys wouldn't take a four-stroke on their boat because of mm-hmm. the weight. You know, if you want a 300 horsepower, the thing was almost 700 pounds, whereas that, you know, two-stroke was 500 pounds. Yeah, you still see two-strokes pretty prevalently in in boats like just made for for nothing but speed, mm-hmm. like like small boats made for nothing but speed, like bass boats and um. I don't know exactly what they'd be called, but but there's like a, a like a, a small group of people in the Keys that that have these like like little mini looking speedboats, mm, and they just yeah. throw they throw a two fifty or three hundred mm-hmm. two stroke on the back of this thing, and oh well they didn't even make three hundreds back like a straight two stroke, but like mm-hmm. they'll throw a two fifty on the back of that thing and just mm-hmm. send I mean, it. Send it. You'll hear them things screaming, but those boats they go ninety mile an hour, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. I yep. personally. Don't ever want to go 90 miles an hour in a boat any smaller than like a legitimate speedboat. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. That's I don't a have a different thing. I don't have the risk tolerance for that. I don't, <laughs> I'm not an adrenaline junkie like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel you. I mean, it's that, that's kind of an interesting concept. Though. I didn't ever even really thought about that as like the direct injection being a direct, you know, resolution to the fuel problem. And then, you know, it ultimately being its biggest downfall. Yeah. They tried to save the two stroke by, you know, making it compete with a four strokes efficiency mm-hmm. and being like, oh, well, it's just as fuel efficient. It's lighter and has the same power. Mm-hmm. You know, now, back then you, they didn't. Right. Like, but how could you go wrong? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, buddy, you could go really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
They showed that in the first couple of years. Oh, yeah. And then it just killed it. And then you started seeing reliable four strokes. And it was like they started bridging that bridging that gap. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what else was um, super reliable. I mean, the reliability of those those two strokes, like the 90s, 115s, 130s, is astronomical. And then, But, I mean, at the same time, if you look at today, I've seen – Suzuki 140, um, which is its own. I mean, that's a that's a whole different thing because the 150 and 140 for Suzuki is two different animals, really. It's a whole like hundred and hundred fifteen pound difference. For yeah, ten horsepower. Yep. I think yep. the Suzuki 140 is pretty cool, reliable or not. Which I'm pretty. Which sure it's it is reliable, really reliable. Yeah, it's super Suzuki. reliable. As long as you change the anodes in it. Yeah. I mean, if we're being honest, anything Japanese, <laughs> you don't have to question reliability. <laughs> but if it is a Suzuki or a Honda, change the manodes every five minutes. Dude. <laughs> <I> mean, just, <laughs> just save yourself in the long run. But, yeah. But yeah, those 140s are really cool engines. Yeah. Um, they're, they're any of those nowadays. I mean, you put a Merc 150 and an F-150 Yamaha, even though I, I cloud on that, um, Yamaha F-150, that Merc 150 is just the same thing. I don't think there's anybody that makes, once you get below like the 200, I don't think there's anybody that makes an unreliable engine. It's just, no, it's just because of the horsepower that you're in. The only common issue I saw with the 150, uh, four stroke Mercury's was, um, which is also an issue, excuse me, on the early, uh, F-150 Yamaha's, but in a different way was the trim level indicators on both those engines funnily enough Mm -hmm. the same thing the trim level indicators were a a, a big problem like there'd always be yeah for the yamaha it'd always be getting stuck but the difference is with the mercury when it would act up Mm -hmm. it would limit your rpm yep and then it would you know like a customer you know a boat owner that doesn't know any better is thinking he's got a running issue like a misfire Mm -hmm. or or like something, something related to, you know, fuel spark, something like, like that kind of running issue. And they'll lead you on a goose chase when really it just thinks it's trimmed out of the water and it's holding you back. You know, it's stopping mm-hmm. you from, from destroying it. But, um, but other than that, yeah, that Merc 150 was or is just as reliable as, as any other engine they make nowadays. It's just, like you said, anything under 200, you can't go wrong. No, I've Not seen, nowadays. I've seen both Merc 150s and Yamaha close to. The only difference I'd say between reliability now and back then is nowadays you do have to be on top of the servicing mm-hmm. and maintenance more so than like the reliable two strokes. Yeah, like the two strokes would take strokes, a, they would take abuse, <laughs> like they can, would. Yeah, you, I mean, but nowadays you still you have really good reliability. Depending on how well yeah, care you, you took of that engine. You can't really abuse them. I don't think the Yamahas will take the same amount of abuse. Before I get off the, F, the F-150s and the um, um, Merc 150s, the Suzuki 140, I've seen all those engines pushing 10,000 hours. Like I've seen them on trap boats where um, they're eight, 9,000 hours on the engines. And, I mean, most of them... They don't really blow up. They just get rid of them because it's that time. I mean, you mm. put 9,000 hours on an engine, it does start to, I mean, things start to fall apart. It's just what yeah. it is. Yeah. But 
but yeah, no, I, I don't think you go wrong with either one uh, of the three. Now, when it comes to the abuse, I'm with you 100% that I think that Mercury is going to take way more abuse than a Yamaha, Suzuki, Honda, or any other manufacturer. Just seeing what I've seen with charter captains and stuff like that, I've I've seen. Well, seeing they what will you hold see, up more. Seeing what you see when you compare the fact that most charter captains have Mercury's. Um, well, most of the bigger ones run in big boats. They they, mm-hmm. they have Mercury's and they abuse the crap out of these engines. Mm-hmm. Um, you see that they those engines hold up just as well as you know a regular a regular boat owner using a Yamaha or any other engine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the lower units handle so much abuse those oh, mercury yeah. lower units oh my goodness i mean how many times have you pulled the drain plug on a mercury lower unit and there is nothing but water in there not a drop of oil mm-hmm. but it didn't blow up no nope. and who knows how long it was running like that yeah because they definitely surpassed 300 hours mm-hmm. you know on the on the service interval and <laughs> <laughs> since or 100 hours i guess for yeah, but some of them the guys are putting oil. 200 hours or more on them before they change the lower unit oil. Oh, yeah, which is exactly what I'm saying. How many of those hours were nothing but water in there? Yeah, even it's if amazing. It's, even if it's half and half, half oil, half mm-hmm. water. Water is not good in a gear case. Mm-mm. It's going to go boom, boom. I've seen, I've taken a um, gear case on a, on a 150 Merc, and it was actually during Irma. So... Um, it was a gear case that the shift crank inside the lower unit broke. Mm-hmm. Granted, this was after like 4,000 hours, mm-hmm. original gear case. So you got a gear case with wow. 4,000 hours on it and the shift mechanism broke. So I said, I had the thing apart. Boom. We got hit with Irma and it was out in the shop right on the thing and all that flooded. So that thing went underwater. It was packed full of sand, rust, everything, full salt water on the inside of the gear case, all the bearings, everything, all rusty. Just, you know, it was rough, like, like rough. And I cleaned that thing out, put it all back together. I didn't change any of the bearings, none of that stuff. I mean, I changed the, no, I didn't change any bearings and nothing, nothing but that shift mechanism. Put that thing back together. You know, I wiped the rust off the off the stuff as much as I could. Filled it with oil. He took it and ran it for thirty hours. Brought it back. I changed the oil out of it again because it had you know just it was wearing all that rust off. Mm-hmm. He put another two thousand hours on that engine on that lower. Like, jeez. I mean, and I'm talking like sunk, submerged, open. So like. Yeah. So everything got evenly dispersed. I pulled with that sand and leaves and all kinds of stuff out of the lower unit. It was it was bad. I was like, oh man, this might not be good. But filled out with oil, sent it two thousand hours. They just take it. Yeah, it's it's actually amazing. I mean, I know we were saying nothing takes an abuse quite like them old two strokes, but if anything comes close, mm-hmm. Mercury, some of the Mercury engines can just take it. The L six takes it. Yeah. Takes it for what it's supposed to do. For what it's supposed to do. I mean, I've seen I've seen guys back down on fish with those L6s in quad engine boats and have all four engines underwater. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it's 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 insane. And then, you know, I mean, 
How many times they did that, I don't know, because they would blow powerheads, but because of water ingestion. Right. But there's nothing else I've ever seen that you just take the engine, sink it, and then, you know, boom, right out. And then, you know, every, you know, hundred time that you did it, it, it you'd blow one up. But mm-hmm. And then the shifting, too, like just the in general. Oh, yeah, there's from, people that. I mean, they'll go from forward, <laughs> what's neutral, bang, reverse, mm-hmm. like just skip it, straighten the reverse after, yep. after you find a little spot, boom, back down hard, mm-hmm. and it's like, ooh, <laughs> yeah. how is yeah. that thing still going? Yeah, <laughs> from 20 miles an hour to reverse, yeah. like, like no, I mean, no. I don't care if you did bring it back to, to the idle detent, your boat's still going 20 miles, you're still going with the weight yeah. of the boat and the water turning that prop and if bam yeah i mean you hear them you, oh you, yeah they're they're definitely telling you like hey man this ain't good we can handle it for a little bit but it ain't good <laughs> like it's, yeah i it it's pretty amazing the the abuse that they'll take mm-hmm. so you know i guess it all depends on what you what your definition of reliability or unreliable yeah. really is mm-hmm. because yeah for the average joe Oh yeah. For the average Joe, I'd tell you to go with the Yamaha. Yeah, you know or the, I mean? or the Mercury, or the Suzuki, or the Honda. Sure, but I mean, but as far as like you you want to like just forget about it, like you you don't want to know anything about the engine when you got a service above, and you just want a reliable engine that's going to last you for a long time. Just get a Yamaha. You know what I mean, it, I don't know. I'm 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 between the two. I'm between the so for between me, which two Yamaha and Suzuki or Yamaha and Mercury? I'm I'm definitely between Yamaha and Mercury. Um, for you, for me, right? Because for me, I'm picking a Mercury, but that's because I know how to fix them. You know what I mean? So even if it does break, I don't care how reliable. Well, compared that, to the, Yamaha. the V8 though, dude, the 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 V8 Mercury with the weight and the power and I mean the reliability of that. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to pick something better than that engine. It is. I don't. I don't know. I might pick the Yamaha over it. Because the 4.2 is easier to work on than the new V8. And for me, I'm all about me. Well, it's easy for me. Right. So <laughs> yeah. But, but at the same time, um, I, I can work on both of them. But They're just dogs. They're just big, heavy. That's how, that's what I've, that's how I've always known a four-stroke Yamaha is just big, heavy. Yeah, but you'll like take just it, as many, many hours with the it Mercury. It gets the job done, but it's, it's I mean, it's look at, look at um, Jack putting... <laughs> 4,000 hours on it in two years. Oh, yeah. I mean, those V8s? you know how long it would take me to put 4,000 hours on an engine? And and Cam and some of those other guys with those with mm-hmm. those engines, they just They're as many over 4,000 hours. Mm-hmm. So. And over 4,000 hard hours, like like every day running, always, run and gun, go, mm-hmm. go, 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 go. In all honesty, actually, I would probably take the Suzuki because of the price. <laughs> like legitimately, if, if it's me spending money right now sure. because of the price, I mean, it has nothing to do with the reliability because like we've just been talking about, all of them are reliable these days. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think now it is to the point where it's either brand, you know, like what's your brand? Like Ford, Chevy, Toyota, what's your brand? Chevy. And that's and that's what that's what people are gonna go for, because 
if you put them all up in a row, I think reliability-wise, and like, they're all good for the for the average person. They're all going to make it. Also, I so, guess a big factor today. I, I think the biggest factor today, I guess, is availability. Yeah, that too. Along with price, that too. You know, when as far as when you're considering what what you want to buy, um, reliability isn't isn't as big of a deal as it used to be. Because mm-hmm. back, you know, back back then, people were pretty passionate about Yamaha is a lot more reliable than Mercury. Yeah, and like, I got into the industry, and I. I didn't see that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I have I didn't see that side of things. Maybe I got in when Well, when I don't think good. I don't think that had been a thing since like 2012. Like Right, that's about when I'm when I'm referencing to like the 2000s, mm-hmm. early 2010s. Yeah. Now if you're talking 2005, eh, you might there there might be some um there might be some some discussion there. Well, in 2005, what was out for Mercury? Was the L6 out yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the L6, but it was not. When did the L6 come out? 04. 04. It's like December 04, okay. so 05. 04. So we're talking 05. Yeah. You're not getting anything Mercury because you had the L6. Yeah, the Optimax. Uh, the Optimax was good, but let's say you want a four-stroke. Yeah, they didn't. I mean, you had the the, the EFIs, which, I mean, from 02 to like 04, we had the Mercahaz Yama Merc, so... You're buying a Yamaha. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it might have a Mercury sticker on it. It's a Yamaha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's a whole argument there. I don't know. I think there really isn't much that... I don't think the discussion is really there anymore as far as reliability versus unreliability. No, I mean, the, the notoriously unreliable outboards, there's not that many out there running anymore. And those that are... Are the ones that that are good. There's no. They are now a testament to the good side of those notoriously bad engines. So, yeah. if you're running an uh, a 2002 E Tech now, like it's a 20 year old engine. What do you mean it's unreliable? I mean it might now be getting unreliable because it's a 20 year old motor. Yeah. But um, the so called notoriously bad engines. You know this really. This really did good as far as uh, straightening out my my thoughts and my opinions on this whole thing. This discussion's been great because it's it's kind of showed me that you know maybe maybe some of these engines that I might have been scared to work about scared to work on because mm-hmm. of their reputation is probably actually not not too bad, not too big of a deal to work on it. You know, it's they just they just had two. They were beaten down too hard for for what the situation was. Yeah, you know what I mean. It was new technology, and it's not. It can't be the first time that that new technology has um has had some catastrophic failures in its in its origin. You know, mm-hmm. like in its in its beginnings. So, so I don't know. I guess you just find the years, find the years to stay away from those early years of those. Mm-hmm. You know, direct injection outboards while they were still being ironed out that new technology and mm-hmm. everything past those years is is good to go yeah I, I kind of want i mean when it comes to working on the engine now though that's a whole that might be its own different discussion because now like let's say you want to work on an xr6 
you're talking about working on a 25 year old engine no 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 older than that when was the xr6 that's okay either way any of those old you want to work on a fict an xr6 or any of these older engines you're working on a 25 30 year old engine mm-hmm. now multiple different things you've got availability of the products to get them the price of the products to get them in order just to fix them and then not to mention i don't think that there's as many mechanic well down here in florida up north in the freshwater it might be a little bit different of a story but as far as down here most mechanics and shops won't even work on those older engines because of the the simple fact that you get on the engine right and it's not running right okay you fix it for because it's the switch boxes the switch boxes were bad you change that out it's all running right Mm -hmm. okay cool you go out for the test run you run the engine it runs great but then the guy uses the boat twice in say three months and now the engine doesn't run anymore right and then he wants you to come look at it oh you're the last one to work on i've only used it twice so then you go look at it and the stator has failed Mm -hmm. because it's a 20 year old stator so now you put a stator on there okay it works you go out and run the boat he runs it twice two months goes by now the engine doesn't run all the rectifier regulators has busted now okay now the ignition coil goes then the the you know the trigger goes then this goes then that goes then the magnets come off the flywheel then that that, and now all of a sudden you've got an engine that every time he uses it every couple times he has another legitimate issue with his engine and the mechanics to blame because he's the last one to work on it i mean you kind of hear the same story a lot of times where you know oh this guy worked on it and that guy worked on it and this guy worked on it and that guy worked on it well then the mechanic that you got going over there now yeah you're just going to be the next guy because you're just just the next guy they're they're going to be dragging through the dirt yeah because it's because the engine's just not because it's gotten so old yeah yeah that the the external not the mechanical aspect of the engine the block and that it's got good compression all that that's all fine it's the actual parts of the ignition system and the fuel system that are it's deteriorating the they're just not going to hold up anymore and especially when you start running the engine wide open throttle and using it you know now if you get on there and you start running it two three times a week your problems might slow down Mm -hmm. but using it two three times letting it sit for a month two months as most people use their boats i mean let's face it most people don't get you don't get to just use your boat every weekend like you you want to most of the time it's you know you got this to do this weekend that to do the next weekend you get to use the boat and then two weeks go by then you get to use it then three weeks go by and so you only get to really use it two three times over a couple months and Stator goes bad, switchback goes bad, ignition coil goes bad, trigger goes bad, rectifier regular goes bad, the flywheel messes up, like it's just the engine harness goes bad and Yeah, and then it gets into the I mean, we had at the marina that one XR six that came through and and I had a really similar uh series of events as far as what all had to be replaced and every mm-hmm. time i took the thing out it was another luckily a lot of them happened on my sea trials like mm-hmm. every time i took the thing out after having fixed something something else was bad <laughs> and it was just a giant chain of this huge diagnosis all for in the end it was like okay 
listen, kid, because it was I think it was a younger kid with the boat, a sentimental value, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like you know now with now in parts and labor, you're you know you're you're at what the whole boat's worth, <laughs> engine included. You know what I mean? Are you yeah. sure you want to keep going? You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know he said no, obviously because yeah. You know, you got a, you got a boat like that. Your pockets aren't infinitely deep. No. I kind of wish that a lot of people would, would just start there. Start with the with the no. Because it's unfortunate that the intentions are that, you know, you're going to get the boat fixed and be able to run it and use it. Well, But a lot of times, yeah, seven, eight times out of ten, it turns into a whole slew of problems. And it gets so expensive that it's like, man... It, ugh. and now you're stuck. You got to pay it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like all this stuff was done, mm-hmm. all this labor. But you don't get me wrong. We told them. We told them from the start. Like, hey, this this is probably not going to be worth it. As a matter of fact, you know, we're going to stop working on two strokes here soon. Mm-hmm. Um, we had stopped working on them before that. Yeah, yeah. I think it got. I think it got snuck in as like a like a friend or whatever. You know, somebody's. A lot of times it ends in a rough situation. You know, rough way where. It no one's happy, you know. Yeah. And, and and in the end, you you're left with a boat that you can't use. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty or with rough. a boat that, in this one's case, we got it not, you know, fully fixed, but it was like, you know, good enough for him. He was like, he mm-hmm. was like, you know what? That's good enough. The boat couldn't even get on plane before coming in here. At least now mm-hmm. it gets on plane and hits X amount of RPM. But now you've got a fuel issue that yeah know, I was not, gonna it's, say it's not hitting wide open throttle fully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think was, he had a he a boat problem. I think he had a problem with the the, the fuel, fuel system tank or the sender or yeah. anything. Yeah, it was it was probably something like that. But at that point, now labor's gonna really start ramping up. Mm-hmm. You got to start sea trialing it a whole bunch with an auxiliary tank and and this and that, and it's just way not worth it no i think that the issue with that whole boat is that yeah it's just an older boat but you're going to have those problems with any 20 30 year old boat and i it's just kind of what it is so whether that makes something reliable or unreliable uh, hopefully this kind of helps i mean like you said it helped you kind of realize that it it's not really an unreliable engine it's just the perception and, and po- I mean, there are some, so, so I'm not saying that some aren't notoriously unreliable because right. like we said, I mean that, but, but if you think, if you think about it, technically all the ones that were going to pop, if they haven't popped at this point, then mm-hmm. I don't know. Some, no one's really buying it, but yeah, but I think all the ones that were going to pop popped yeah. in those, in those first couple of years. Yep. You know, if you're going to if you're going to run an outboard like that, especially an older one, mm-hmm. I think it's something that you should be able to work on. Like like someone that wants to run a 30 year old engine, that should be something that you could work on. Yeah, because when you have to start paying someone to work on stuff like that, for one, there's very there's very few people anymore that that even want to. Well, that'll even take something like that. Well, that even know how to. That's a big one. I yeah. mean, like you are a, are a prime example. Um, being a newer tech, like half of these engines you've never even seen. I mean, no. like like you've never worked on an E tech or no. a, or a Fict or no, a no no. I mean, you you might have worked on an, an OX sixty six. 
No. Vaguely. No, I've never done anything. Um, I've never done anything engine-wise to an OX66. The only thing I've ever done to that is having to free up the swivel pin because mm. all the grease hardened up and got packed in there. Oh, yeah. That's, a, that's another thing that we didn't talk about. What? On some of those Yamahas, how they, they, where the engine turns on the bracket. Oh, that, that was a too. notorious thing for Yamaha? Yeah, that is a notorious thing for, for Johnson's and other engines, too, where, like, no one would grease it for so long right. that the grease that was in there would dry up and get stuck, and then now all of a sudden the engine won't turn, and you have to heat it up, drill holes in it, yep. like one at the top, one at the bottom, just to let all the grease out. And then, you know, you would thread it and put a grease cert fitting there. But, um, yeah, that's, that's a, I didn't, I forgot about that. That's a scary job too. Cause I'm no, I'm no arsonist, man. I don't like fire. (laughs) (laughs) You're giving me an acetylene torch or or an oxyacetylene torch. And I've got to, you know, sit there torching this engine for (laughs) God knows how long. I mean, I was there torching it for a minute before the stuff starts spewing out and then you Mm -hmm. gotta like you know you gotta make sure you're not in the way oh yeah you're not in the blast zone because that stuff will get so hot that it boils bubbles and just Mm -hmm. shoots out of those holes and yep it's yeah and you definitely got to have something there to catch it and stop it from getting you know but i only ever saw it be a problem on that that 10x66 i guess Mm -hmm. i never i mean but you know you've got however many years experience how many but how many did you see how many did you have to take it quite a few quite a few but but again that's not really that's because of neglect i mean no yeah, one put any grease that's in there. not that's not that doesn't factor into reliability because i guess the the most important thing with the reliability is will i make it back from my fishing trip mm-hmm. you know what i mean and you'll make it back it, yeah. it will in his particular case especially he had twins you know what i mean so if you got a boat with twins mm-hmm. and you can't turn the engines not the end of the world you no know, just invert the you you've also got the aspect of um oh shoot now i forgot what i was gonna say but um oh oh um a lot of the stuff that you talk about whenever it's not gonna you like you're gonna be stuck out there mm-hmm. there's a lot of times where it's not even related to the engine it's because you've got a problem with you got bad gas your battery cables are messed up like your batteries are dead your chart like you've got an issue with the boat yeah that disallows the the engine from where you got a leak in the boat your float switch doesn't work the bilge pump's not coming on like you're mm-hmm. taking on water mm-hmm. um i mean if you got a, a bad fuel tank bad pickup or a, a bad water separator or something like that i mean that's a boat issue that's not even an engine issue and that could happen to anybody yeah I mean, everybody says, oh, if I've got, you know, two engines, three engines, four engines, I got eight engines back there, you know, I'm getting back on one. Well, if you got one fuel tank feeding those three engines, then bad gas is bad gas. Like, you know. Don't matter. Don't matter. You you, You ain't getting back. (laughs) How many times have you ever been uh, stranded out on a sea trial when you were working at the marina? Because I was fortunate enough to never get stuck out there i had one really close call and it was that xr it was that xr6 mm-hmm. um and it was like my second sea trial on it <laughs> i took it over to your house because you mm-hmm. live right down the right down the canal yep and friggin that thing just it it started up and idled beautifully i got it fine-tuned ish at the dock i was like mm-hmm. okay let's see let's see you know if this thing will get on plane 
I made it to your house down the canal and boom, shut right off, like right in front of your house. I'm like, oh, come on, dude. Mm-hmm. I'm like, really? Right now? Shuts off. And then you're helping me get the thing started. And you're like, well, listen, this thing ain't going to stay running. There's something way jacked here. Yep. Um, so here's what you got to do. <laughs> you're like, rev it up or move the, the throttle, start it, you know quickly put it in neutral and bang it back into forward and just take off. Yep. And that's what I did. I was on the phone with CJ. I'm like, CJ, I'm coming in hot, bro. I'm <laughs> flying, dude. I can't, if, I, if I go any lower than 2,000 RPM, this thing's turning off. Catch me at the dock, please. <laughs> and that was a fun time. But but other than that, I've never been left stranded out there. What's, what's... I'm trying to think because... I can't remember ever getting stuck on a Z trial. Oh, because you're just that good a mechanic, you know. You've never. No, <laughs> no there's I, never been nothing that you can't fix. Oh, getting stranded not, out there. I'm not never saying happened. that at all. No. I'm not saying that at all. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of one because uh, I can't. Because the one that comes to mind is when I blew up that Johnson, but I had a kicker engine. And I got that thing running and came back on that. Okay, well, but look, not everybody just has the kicker engine, so no, that, it, that would count. You know what I mean? But I don't, I don't... You blew up the Johnson. How'd you do that? Was it the Johnson's fault or your fault? The, the, guys, the guy brought the boat over and said, um, I got a problem with my engine. It's not running right. It's not, you know, it, it doesn't reach wide open throttle. It's not running right. Mm-hmm. Go down to the dock, start it, run it, sitting there idling fine. No problem, no nothing. Like this thing's running great. Just, just running. Like turn it, start it, rent it. Ran it for like 10, 15 minutes at the dock. No problems. Checking some stuff over. No, nothing wrong. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing wrong with this engine. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, so hop on it, go take it out, get up on plane, make it like, you know, heading down the beach. You know, it's like, you know, we go like maybe a mile, half mile down the beach and then, and then back made down to the end of the beach, heading back in. And it just goes, boom. And then, (laughs) And then and then it just came off plane and stopped and that was it. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so mad. I've never heard an outboard blow up. I want to hear that so bad. I want to hear I mean, a was, pop. That's all it was. And and so I'm like, what the heck was that? And so I turned the key. Nothing. Doesn't. Nothing happens at all. Oh. The minute it came up and then locked up because um, the fly was locked up. And go back to take the cowling off. Turn it. And the thing's locked up. But technically, that could also be a blown lower unit. What does a blown lower unit sound like? Do you know when it's like, when yeah. it's, you can, um, t- you can yeah. tell like from the, the way it sounded like, okay, that's not a lower unit. Yeah, a lot of times you don't hear the lower units like you do the engine. Like when the engine blows, you usually hear it. Mm-hmm. When the lower unit blows, depending on how you're going, I mean, I blew up the lower unit on the Venture on that one of them 250s. Coming back from the lighthouse one time, we were out there diving. And um, we were coming back and doing like 40 miles an hour just cruising and the port engine just lost power looking at the rpm and and it just lost a bunch of power engine was still running so or no no the engine shut off so then i'm like what the heck come off come off plane try and start it engine start up starts idling but now i'm hearing the gear kits just rattling around down there and and that was it so it's not it's not nearly as exciting as you might think like you know everybody's expecting to have like 
you know, oh my gosh, a, a, a rod blows out the side of the block and out the cowling, like, oh, it's this big, you know, but most of the time it's just, your engine just stops running and then you notice it because you slow down right. and then either it won't restart or it's smoking real bad or like, you know, the gear case is rattling. Like mm-hmm. now if a gear case locks up, um, it can lock up and then the engine will shut off because the drive shaft is in the crank and the crank can't turn no more. Right. So the engine will just shut off and then it won't restart because the starter doesn't have enough power to turn. Right. That's kind of what I was alluding to earlier, but, but I guess you just don't really hear a lower unit blowing up. It's not as exaggerated as you might think it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, I wonder what it sounded like when wasn't there, wasn't there an L6? I remember seeing an L6 powerhead that came off. I believe it was two conks that had a rod out the side of it. Mm-hmm. Had a rod just hanging out the side. I, I want to know what that sounded like because there's no way you didn't hear that. I mean, a rod blowing through the side of an mm-hmm. engine, big old hole in the block. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it was. It was a probably loud boom, and then probably some metal clinking around. <laughs> I mean, you know, like um those are i mean it's getting rare honestly to see you know that me i don't think people blow powerheads like it used to be no definitely not like it used to be um heck the first v8 powerhead that i'd even heard of being Mm -hmm. blown was jack and that was after 3800 4000 hours or something Mm -hmm. on that engine and um yeah like you know with the way they with the way they run those things, you know how often they're running them, how hard they're running them. Mm-hmm. Well, he puts two thousand hours a year. Exactly, on those it's like it's so. It's pretty impressive that yeah. If do. something's gonna break, he's gonna be the one to break it. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the average person's not. You're not putting two thousand hours on your engine a year. That's no. just no. some people don't put two thousand hours on it in ten years. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I totally get. Um, you can't, I mean, you can bring up the, oh, well, you should have had it maintenanced more. And that's easy to say, but when you're really doing the math, you're putting 2,000 hours on in a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of money to make, to, to keep up with every interval for sales. Yeah, well, they do. I mean, but they're not main, like a lot of them, he, he has somebody that does that maintenance for him. Right. Like he has somebody that like they do. Change the oil, change the the gear lube, change the you know like like they just, it's not like the average person that, you know his, his might go, you know, he might change his gear lube at eighty hours, he might change it at one hundred and twenty hours, like because mm-hmm. he's doing trips, you know. There's some days that it's ten hours a day, so yeah. he puts you know, a hundred hours on it in just over a week. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, then that would just get ridiculous. I mean, it, it, well, it, it's hard to, you know, the boat's got to come out of the water. It's got to get down this, that, and the other. So it's, that's why he has someone that does all that. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's, that's his job is yeah. to service those engines. And it's, they put them in a rotation where, you know, he's also got over 20 boats now. So it's like, mm-hmm. got like 23, 24 boats. So in order for him to do that, like, you know, he has, he schedules all that out. Like, you know, he's got boats going down all the time just to get those oil changes in. So 
it's a, that's a whole different other animal compared to, you know, the average person like you or I. Yeah, no, for sure. All right, so what do you say we wrap this up and uh, we'll see everybody next week? Yeah, yeah, we'll see everybody next week. We've been at this for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if anybody wants us to cover a topic, actually, we didn't even get to talk to anybody's comments today because this was all. This was actually someone's email wanting to talk about, you know, actually a few comments and an email about notoriously unreliable engines. But if you want us to have a discussion about your topic, then just comment below or email us at askbab at bornagainboating.com.